The following is Nature of Business with Chrissy Coughlin in association with GreenBiz.com. This is Nature of Business, and I'm your host, Chrissy Coughlin. Thank you for joining us today. We have with us right now Mark Way, and Mark Way is Head Sustainability America's Hub for Swiss Re, and he heads up sustainable development activities in the Americas and is part of the company's Sustainability and Emerging Risk Management Unit. And since 2006, Mark's, Mark has been working from Swiss Re's American headquarters in Armonk, New York, and to coordinate the company's sustainability-related activities in the U.S., Canada, and Latin America. Mark is primarily focused on the topic of climate change, and his position involves interaction with a broad range of stakeholders, including governments, clients, international organizations, academia, and non-governmental organizations. Welcome, Mark. Thank you, Chrissy. Pleased to be with you. Well, let's start uh, let's start about talking about Swiss Re in general, general for those who are not familiar with the company. Briefly, what does Swiss Re do and, and um, why is your impact so large? Right. Well, I, mean, I think that's a good place to start because the reinsurance industry is not necessarily that well known. We're not sort of high, high street names, but um, the Re, which is Swiss Re, the Re part of our name stands for reinsurance. And effectively, the reinsurance industry insures insurance companies. So we are the insurance company for the insurance companies, if you like. And um, we really help them manage the risks that they have on their books. And so, you know, our clients are primarily insurance companies, but also large corporates and, and recently um, governments and even uh, nonprofits, so non-governmental organizations. And um, maybe just, you know, a couple words of background on the company. It was founded in 1863 in, in Switzerland, in Zurich, Switzerland. Um, so next year is the 150th anniversary of Swiss Re. And um, I think, you know, with regards to why the impact's large, um, for, well, from our point of view as an individual company, um, that's partly because we, we operate on a global basis from 60 offices around the world. But I think wider than that, the insurance industry has, sorry, the reinsurance industry particularly has a major impact because um, it's very often the, the part of the industry that ends up paying for the, the major losses which we see. So the catastrophic losses such as Katrina or the World Trade Center or now Sandy, a lot of these losses end up being paid by the reinsurance industry. And I think that's one of the areas we have a, a major impact. Okay. That is, I, um, I didn't realize, I'm, I'm learning as I speak, as you speak, which is terrific. So the, the role of sustainability, um, tell us, tell us about this in the reinsurance industry, um, what you do in your position, obviously day to day it, it, it changes, but it would be good for our listeners to have a general idea of what you do with heading up sustainability. Yeah, sure. I mean, what I do, I mean, it's quite wide-ranging. Um, I suppose in many ways uh, one of the roles I have is to be kind of a contact contact person for people in the Americas who want to converse with Swiss Re on this topic, uh, so on sustainability matters. Um, I also have a sort of the, you know, the, the, the general remit of implementing the group or the group company's sustainability strategy in the Americas with, as you mentioned, I think, uh, before, with quite a, a heavy focus on the climate topic. Um, so I really represent the company both internally and externally on these um, issues and, um, yeah, coordinate a number of projects, involved in a number of projects, um, help manage the relationships we have with some of our key sustainability stakeholders. Um, so as I say, it's pretty broad ranging. It's hard to sort of put it in a, in a small nutshell. Mm-hmm. No, but it's good to get a general idea of sort of your, it sounds like you're a little bit of the liaison here. Is that a good descriptive word? 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, normally um, people who would like to, or organizations which want to contact us about anything in this area, they tend to come to me. And if, it, if it's something which I can't help them with directly or, or the team, which is primarily based in Zurich, can't help them with, then I would look for um, the most appropriate person internally to try to help them. So yeah, from that point of view, a liaison would be a good description. Okay. And ha- speaking of your team, how, how big is your team in the Americas? Are you do you do you run a, a large team in in New York or, or is it really you working no. as a silo? The direct <laughs> team is yeah, no, it's it's the direct team if you like um, is basically me in the Americas. But um, you know, obviously, we work very closely with a number of uh, teams within the company. So um, as and when necessary, I, I have resources I can call on uh, to help in, in specific specific instances. And right now, I actually have a, a graduate um, a recruit who's, who just joined Swiss Re working with me for the next few months. So we, we try to supplement uh, the, the, um, uh, the resources through um, you know, graduate power or you know, what we call rotation within the company, have people come and work to see what we're doing, why we're doing it, and they help out at the same time. Okay, great. Well, it's particularly timely that we're talking to you about um, your work, given that just mere two weeks ago, we experienced one of the worst hurricanes in history on the East Coast. Um, and with numbers like 60 billion US dollars spent in 2011 to recover from weather-related disasters, and that in developing countries, only 7% of losses related to weather disasters are recovered. What are some of the solutions that, that you've come up with at Swiss Re? And, and, and then after you answer that, we can talk a little bit about how you approach this climate change issue. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, first of all, your reference to Sandy, I mean, absolutely clear. I think, you know, an extremely clear reminder of of just what severe weather can do to us, whether it's caused by climate change or not. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, it it just serves as another wake-up call to all of us that this is not an issue that's going to go away, and it's something which we have to tackle. Um, I think from our point of view as a, as a company, you know, we've been looking at this topic now for in excess of 20 years. Um, we have a dedicated strategy to try to guide us um, in, in our approach to the topic, and that covers everything from you know, enhancing our understanding of, of climate risk to developing products to help our clients deal with these risks to an advo- advocacy uh, element and also, you know, frankly, how, how we can reduce our own um, carbon footprint as a company. And I think um, there back in 2003, I believe Swiss Re was the first major financial player to ever commit to going carbon neutral. And that's that's what we did in 2003 and achieved in 2007. Um, if you're talking about some of the solutions, um, perhaps you know not quite a solution, but I think an interesting project which is literally about to take off is something we're working on in collaboration with um, a couple of NGO partners. That would be Ceres, the uh, environmental investor-backed environmental organization in the US, plus ClimateWise. And ClimateWise is um, an insurance industry organization. It's kind of a platform to uh, discuss climate-related issues. And We've come together with two Canadian companies, Aviva Canada and Cooperators, and I'm pretty confident a couple of major U.S. insurers are going to be joining um, very shortly to sort of really look at the whole issue of resiliency in the urban context. So um, how we can work together with with a wide range of stakeholders which need to be involved in, in discussing resiliency building in, in cities primarily. And... Um, just looking for ways to sort of identify, you know, why this needs to happen and, and what are the hurdles which could be 
in in you know impeding us making progress in this area and the actual aim long term aim well say long term aim the project should wrap up next year but the aim is really to put all of this thought into a into to designing a methodology and that methodology could then become a blueprint to help cities um not just in, in in the cities which we work in on the project but wider within the US and and beyond uh, really think about uh, or think through some of these ways and means of actually um addressing uh, the vulnerabilities which we currently have. Mm-hmm. What were, what would some of those those vulnerabilities be? In it, let's say in a city context. Well, it could be uh, you know literally anything from you know from unpleasant things like sewer backup to uh, flooding uh, to what we've seen you know very recently in the last few weeks of uh, you know the, basically the, the power system collapsing. Um, so it's really everything that you you can think of, um, and, and and the question is what can we do to improve that? What can we do differently? And and how can we really bounce back more quickly after uh, after these kinds of events happen? Mm-hmm. Now, it's interesting. Um, I was just at. San Francisco for the Green Biz Verge conference, and we were talking about this this convergence um, in in cities and how it is so important. And one story that came up was this Adopt a Hydrant um, program, which enables residents to keep their neighborhood fire hydrants clear of winter snow and accessible to firefighters. So it it, it, it makes me think about really bringing in just what you're talking about and bringing in the, the average person into the conversation to somehow. Uh, expedite the process and, and and encourage involvement from 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 the real micro community level. Yeah, I mean, I think that makes an awful lot of sense because at the end of the day, when we're trying to adapt society to a, to a more extreme climate. Um, you can't really do that on a global basis. You've got to do that on a local basis. And who has the most knowledge of what, what's needed? And, and that tends to be the people living or working in that area. So that kind of dialogue, I think, is extremely important, shouldn't be underestimated. Mm-hmm. Now, how about the climate change issue? We talked about, the, you know, we just talked about disasters and whether they are climate change related or not. But but let's let's talk a little bit because I know that this is really the the bulk of your work. How how are you approaching climate change? Um, you know, as a as from from the Swiss Re perspective, and 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 hopefully moving the needle on on educate, educating the public about the potential risks that are you know, that incur because of climate change. Yeah, and I mean that would really come back. I mean everything is guided by the uh, strategy, which which I mentioned a few moments ago, of really um, trying to take a comprehensive approach. Because you know we are one company, um, but we think if everybody you know starts to think about how this impacts them, their clients, their communities, then this is probably one of the best ways you can look at it. So we do a lot of research. We're involved in uh, academic research on the climate topic. We look specifically, for example, about the economic impacts of severe weather and and how that might change um, through climate change. Um, We look at how we can position the products we have to to consider um, climate issues. So obviously a a lot of the basic products which an insurer or a reinsurer provides and has been providing for decades um, are very relevant to this conversation. I mean, a basic insurance policy against uh, windstorm, for example, would be nothing new, but it's, you know, it's really how can you take that and how can you look to see what the kinds of risks are that your clients are going to be facing going forward and and what would the appropriate approaches and, and products be. And then we've 
you know, I, I think I mentioned we, we have this sort of advocacy approach. I mean, we don't have a large lobbying team working exclusively on climate issues, but we're very, um, we very often di have dialogue with our, uh, you know, with policymakers, with decision makers uh, at the local and regional level about some of the ways in which we in the industry look at these issues, because I think that's, it's rather unusual the way an insurance industry organization looks at this is perhaps quite different from other organizations because we look very much at the risk, you know, and we can actually put a number on that so we can actually quantify things. And that's an extremely, I think, useful contribution to a discussion is if you can actually talk about a number. Now, if we're talking mm -hmm. about a number 20 years out, I mean, we're not suggesting it's going to be 100% accurate, but I think it gives at least the basis for discussion. So we, we sort of combine all of these things and um, try to encourage primarily uh, an international or, or some form of agreement on reducing greenhouse gas emissions at the international level, ideally, and also this issue of resiliency building, reducing vulnerability, how we can move forward, how we can, what we, what we would call, integrate climate risk considerations into the decision-making process so that we actually design a society um, in the future to be able to be, deal with the future climate rather than designing it um, on the basis of the present, which is really designed to um, uh, be able to function in a climate which might not much may no, no longer be the actual climate we're dealing with. Right. Now, how does this differ with uh, developing countries versus, you know, first world countries? When we create a society that is, you know, looking at the future, and it's going to look very different when you're in a developing country. Can you talk a little bit about your work in the developing world? Absolutely. I think this comes rather, uh, this comes really under the well, when we look at this, we, we see the developing countries. I think everybody recognizes that in, in spite of the vulnerability we've just witnessed in our own country, you know, in, in the, you know, the wealthiest country on the planet, if we look at the kind of vulnerability we've, uh, we've, we've seen um, as a result of Sandy, then you can just imagine the kind of vulnerability levels there are in developing countries which don't have the means really to protect themselves in, in the way which we do. Um, so one of the uh, issues, one of the things we see out there, is, or one of the topics we look at is something broadly called financial inclusion. And that really means providing access to people, um, mainly in developing countries, which don't have access to the kinds of means of managing that risk which you, you and I do. So that would be, in our case, how can we improve the access to insurance, um, which you and I, you know, we take that for granted more or less. Uh, mm. over, over in many parts of the world, that's pretty much revolutionary. People don't understand the concept because they've never been exposed to it. So we've been looking at uh, ways in which we can expand access to this. We've been involved, for example, in a project with Oxfam America, uh, Columbia University, Rockefeller Foundation, working in Ethiopia. And I, mean, I can go into this at great length, so just tell me when you've heard enough. But uh, No, I'd love to hear about it, definitely. Basically, what this is, and I'll, I'll try and make this as short as possible, what we're trying to do there is go, you go into a – well, we don't. Uh, our partners on the ground, Oxfam, go into the area or have been working in an area for, for an extended period of time. They have the trust of the local people. They understand the culture. And what we try to do there with them since 2008 is to build a project around um, some villages in Ethiopia. So the aim is is that um, you encourage the village population, or, or at least some of them, to work on projects which would improve the resilience of that 
village to the kinds of weather events they might experience quite regularly. So this this is a project really looking at the issue of drought. So the people there, they work on, for example, better irrigation systems, rainwater harvesting, um, planting nitrogen, fixing trees, I don't know, building their own or improving the storage facilities for food or for crops which they have grown. And then in, in return for that, they get a um, they get an insurance policy, and the idea is is that these basic measures they've they've been working on in the village should help them increase resiliency to to a reasonable level, and then on top of that you would have an insurance policy to really cover against the more serious events. So we we call that kind of a holistic or a comprehensive approach to risk management, and the aim is to design a model, and we hope that that model can then be scaled up in other parts of the country and in other areas. And what we've seen so far, um, when this project started in 2008, it was focused on one village. And uh, in that village, there was zero insurance policies. And in 2011, last year, the last year I have numbers for you, um, that had expanded to 45 villages, 13,000 insurance policies, which, you know, completely admitting the fact that 13,000 policies in a country of 80 million is not much, but at least there is a significant multiplier multiplier factor there uh, because Mm -hmm. 13,000 policies equates to about 80,000 people because each policy is for one household and each household has about six people on average. So, you know, we're we're slowly working uh, through through this whole project one step at a time. Um, But I think very encouragingly, the World Food Program has has recognized or has uh, expressed interest in it. And um, this project has been now scaled up to go from one country into um, three new countries through the World Food Program's work. Um, and so the project now has Swiss Re, Oxfam America, the other partners I mentioned, plus the World Food Program and US, uh, USAID in there working together to try to expand access to this kind of product. Wow, that's terrific. So I would assume too that once the insurance policies, even though it is, as you mentioned, 13,000 policies and around 80,000 people, that once people see that model in the country and that it's established that the tra- trajectory will go up more rapidly because there will be, you know, models by which to, they, they'll see it happening and working in the country and then you'll see it ex- explode or maybe explode might be a little bit more powerful, <laughs> but but you'll see that the trajectory go up more rapidly. Would that be correct? Well, that's, yeah, that's definitely the hope. So the idea is if you prove a model, then you should be able to, to uh, you know, just implement that model in other areas. And that's exactly the aim of this project. So the the hope is that by the end of um, I think the fifth year, which means a five-year project right now, that we should be covering up to half a million people almost. Um, I mean, that's, well, it's not quite, that's not policies, but that's the household members, if you like. Um, so that's something like 70 or 80,000 uh, policies. So yes, okay. I mean, and once that, or, or through that process, this is really a learning process for everybody involved, and we hope that then we can leverage that knowledge to sort of really use this model elsewhere, because currently it's um, it's in, as I mentioned, Ethiopia. The next country has, is going to be Senegal. It's already started there. Mm-hmm. And then we have two further countries. But um, yeah, it's all about the model, and it's all about um, scaling that model up. Sure. Well, let's talk about uh, two words that I'm quite interested personally in, and I, I think our listeners would, would be interested to learn more about mitigation and adaptation, and they encompass really the core of your work. Can you tell us a little bit more about uh, mitigation and adaptation from the perspective of the reinsurance industry? 
Yeah, I mean, basically, first of all, um, you know, from, from our point of view, the only way, I mean, climate change is a complex topic, let's start there, and, and it's clearly one that needs to be tackled in, in, a, in a sophisticated way, and that basically means you can't just reduce greenhouse gas emissions, so you can't just mitigate the problem. I mean, that actually you can do, but the it will take a significant period of time before um, you know, before that would have an effect. So if we if we basically stopped all man-made greenhouse gas and gas emissions today, um, it would be several decades before we would have uh, you know noticeable differences um, you know in in reduced global warming. So we also have to prepare society for the fact that you know that's a long way off. So we have to deal with the risks we face today. So we have then to adapt society um, or, or to make it more resilient through appropriate adaptation measures. Um, so everything we have seen as a company uh, points to more or less the sort of inescapable conclusion that you have to tackle. We need to tackle climate change. It's not something which is going to go away. It's not something we can ignore. And um, you know, the really the question is how you do that. And that's when we come back to this idea of having kind of a, a holistic approach. So you look at the mitigation side and you look at the adaptation side and um, take measures to uh, um, to to deal with both uh, both aspects. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then how how do you how do you um, prioritize when it comes to to both mitigation and adaptation and and the costs associated with them? Right. I mean, that's a really good question. I mean, basically, if you look at the academic work in this area, they will most most academics, I believe, I'm writing saying would would say that well, mitigation is the way to go. That's actually cheaper, and and some of the numbers there <laughs> suggest that um, just just to reduce greenhouse gas emissions would be the equivalent of about costing about 1% of global GDP per year, whereby if you're looking at adaptation measures, uh, and the last numbers I saw were looking at sort of like 2050, um, by then you could be paying something in the region of 5 to 10% of GDP to adapt society mm-hmm. to be able to pay off all these losses and, and, and make it more resilient. Um, so really... You know, it's the problem, of course, is is that you can't just do one or the other. You've got to do both. So, what might look best on paper is not what's in in in, in reality is, is actually going to work. So, you effectively have to do both of those things. Okay, great. Um, now, how about the private sector? It would be um, good to get your perspective on the the role of of the private sector in addressing the challenges brought on by by climate change and weather related disasters. Okay, I mean, we would argue, and I think this is pretty obvious, that the private sector has a tremendous role to play. Um, it has some distinct, uh, well, things it can actually contribute to this conversation or the, this approach. Um, obviously, it has a lot of knowledge, expertise. It's got the capital. It's got um, you know capital to drive innovation and, and invest where we need to invest and, and generally move things towards a low-carbon economy. Um, however, uh, again, an obvious statement, but worth reminding people is that that's just not something we can do on our own. Um, this is going to take everybody's involvement, and certainly from the policymakers level, um, the the policymakers have a, an extremely important role to make role to play because they can do a couple of things which we certainly can't uh, because they have the authority to put legislation and, and, and a regulatory structure in place. Um, that's not something that we have the authority to do. So I think um, what we what we're always looking for is is ways in which the uh, well, we're trying to encourage the discussion to look at how um, the regulatory structure could be put in place to actually encourage this 
uh, well, encourage this move towards a low-carbon economy uh, to to make that move um, a smoother and and quicker move than if it's just left to the private sector. I mean, eventually, you could argue that private, uh, sorry, that the the market forces will take us in that direction, but they may not, and or or they may, but it may take an extended period of time. So we really need to sort of be looking to how you can actually make that move. And, And one thing which we we don't have, which would obviously um, change the, the playing field to some extent, would be well, right, putting a price on carbon. We don't have that right now, but that's something which will eventually come, no doubt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. That was discussed last week at the at the conference. Um, the the putting the price on carbon and 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 you you do you feel like that's coming down the pike? I think eventually. I mean, I don't see right now any way. I mean, there's a lot of different things you could do, but fundamentally, there's an externality which has a cost for society, i.e., greenhouse gas. Sorry, greenhouse gas emissions causing global warming that has a negative impact on society. So eventually, that has to be priced. I would say. I think that's one of the most effective ways to deal with that, and that's certainly, um, you know, in the press being discussed a lot right now. And some way or other, we have to deal with this problem, and that would seem to be an obvious one. Mm-hmm. Now, I know you mentioned a couple of projects already, but it would be fun for our listeners to to hear a, a, about one or, or a couple of more projects that you're currently working on that might be particularly exciting to share. Well, I mean, I think uh, I mentioned the uh, the project with Ethiopia, with, with Oxfam. Mm-hmm. I mentioned the project in, in the uh, Resilient Cities areas. I mean, there are a number of uh, areas which we're working on. I think one of the, the projects which is ongoing, um, which may be of interest, is is something called the Economics of Climate Adaptation. And this is really, uh, well, it was a project, again, started a couple of years ago, but it's ongoing, looking at how you can design or how you can encourage adaptation, i.e. resiliency building, to take place. Um, and the project was designed to, to offer um, people, you know, decision-making uh, bodies, so governments or even corporates, companies, local authorities, giving give them a methodology which allows them to sort of construct their own uh, climate adaptation program, which would which makes sense for them. And in essence, what this this project had two halves. And on the first in the first half, it was really all about calculating for a given region what the current uh, annual loss would be or the average annual loss would be for weather-related events. Um, mm-hmm. And then taking that, so what we basically call it a total climate risk approach. So you look at what the cost would be today, then you would look at how that might change over the next 20 years due to various developmental factors plus uh, climate change scenarios to say, well, look, if, this, if the cost is, is 100 today, it might be 130 in 20 years' time. But what the project then did, which I think was, was really the even the more interesting part was to say, well, if these are the kind of losses we're expecting, what would be the most economically uh, appropriate or economically efficient way of minimizing those losses as far as possible? So it then went, and this goes back to your point about the importance of discussing these issues at the local level. The project then goes to the local communities, um, finds the various people that, that know about these things, and talks about all the possible various adaptation options you might have um, and, and there can be an awful lot, so that the problem is prioritizing. So once you have this list, you, uh, and this was where Swiss Re came in, you would basically um, you, you would you would have those uh, you would introduce those 
measures uh, symbolically into a, a modeling program. And then you would run that program again to see what impact those measures had on reducing the expected losses. And through that process, you can come down to um, identifying a key number of measures which would seem worthy of further further um, research for a given area. So, for example, in, you know, we've done one of these studies in Florida, we did one on the Gulf Coast, and uh, in, in various other areas around the world, and, and what you see in the case of Florida, for example, is, uh, you know, basic things in, in many ways, like using sandbags in time and uh, renourishing beaches, and also potentially in these areas, building buildings obviously a little bit higher, you know, kind of uh, uh, raising buildings off the ground. That turned out to be a very effective way uh, when you're building a house new, but it didn't turn out to be a very effective way if you're raising an existing house. So from an eco and again, everything from an economic perspective. So we hope, you know, through that kind of project, we can really highlight um, the need, highlight the potential costs, highlight the potential benefits from actually taking measures which need to be taken. And again, you know, we're open about this. We're also looking to, to try to identify how the insurance or how insurance products fit into these adaptation policies, where they make most sense, where they might, might make less sense, um, um, you know, because we have a, obviously a clear interest in promoting that discussion since we provide, you know, access to these products. Exactly, exactly. Wow, that is terrific. Thank you, Mark. This has been, this has been a fabulous discussion, and I know our listeners are, have learned a lot, so I, I appreciate you taking the time. That's my pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. The proceeding has been Nature of Business with Chrissy Coughlin in association with GreenBiz.com. 